T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And Overnight America continues. And thanks again for those that join us every single night. We never really came down with what we're going to call the fans of the show. I had a whole bunch of people call in with ideas like the Night Stalkers or the Night Wreckers or the Sleepy Creepies <laughs> or the Night Owls or uh, the Night Squad, the Overnighties. I had a whole list of things that people recommended, but I don't know if we ever actually officially decided on one. But if you're one of them, whatever it may be, thank you for joining us tonight. Andrew Wheel and Bill Schiebert, uh, he's going to be, both of them are going to be joining us tonight to talk about demolition by neglect. There's so many buildings that are just falling apart, beautiful historic buildings in St. Louis. And we'll look at one, the Second Baptist Church that's on the corner of Kings Highway McPherson. They're going to come on to talk about that in about 25 minutes from now. But I wanted to first mention a few things. And what you find is that, generally speaking, Facebook or Twitter or Google or whatever it is, they do their best to try to discourage different news articles when there's things that are contradictory to what um, what the message is, if, if what they're told to stay on point when it comes to the messaging. And you see this too, I think, when it comes to local politics in the county, and this is a good example, you have higher restrictions on indoor dining, but you don't see that same threshold being applied to other businesses. So the restaurant business is being singled out. You can look at the city, which... Again, you don't have to drive that far to get into St. Louis City if you're living in the county. Or if you're living in the county, it probably doesn't take that much to get to St. Charles County. It's probably just a quick drive where the restrictions are not there. And they realize that, hey, the spread of COVID and when they track where people may have contracted COVID, it's not coming from indoor dining. That is small. It was like 1.4%, something along those lines. of If you were to do some tracking on this. So is there really a threat for indoor dining when all of these restaurants have gone through some pretty extreme lanes to try to prepare their indoor dining areas in a way that would be as safe as possible to allow patrons to come in and eat? I mean, they've gone through all kinds of restrictions. They've spread out tables. They took out tables. They put up barriers. You know, you got to wear your mask whenever you get up off of your seat or whatever it is. I mean, there's a, a ton of things you have to do. And they found out those things were effective because when you look at the data and how COVID has been spreading, you're finding that indoor dining at restaurants is not the way it's primarily spread and not even close. It's not even it's, it's like maybe 10 if there's a top 10, if that, because there's only so many different things you can do. 
So in the county, they said, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care what the data says. We're just going to do it anyway. So this is what my point is going to be. When we see these different stories come out there, like Chesterfield says, Chesterfield police say they won't enforce St. Louis County health orders. And this is at KMOX.com. It was a statement that was released by the Chesterfield Police Department explaining that their city council has approved an ordinance to relax certain zoning restrictions so that businesses can, quote, adapt to changing conditions due to the pandemic. Meaning that if you're in Chesterfield, it sounds like you could go and eat at a restaurant if you wanted to, and that restaurant would not be punished, and they'll be able to do so. I don't know how the county's going to counteract that because I know the county wants to get into some kind of, oh, this is our, this is our ground. Uh, uh, this is us. Uh. You know, it's some sort of like, you know, battle cry for them that they're going to have to go in and go hard on Chesterfield or something stupid like that. But it makes me wonder too, if anyone actually feels comfortable with something like this now with the restrictions being in St. Louis County, it still kind of feels a little weird, right? Even if Chesterfield says they won't be punished and they're not going to enforce this ordinance or these orders, even so, I'm wondering if it just feel, if it's too late because there's that lingering doom. Do the restaurant owners want to rely on that? Because in the back of their mind, they may be thinking, okay, Chesterfield says this, you know, and the police might not enforce it. What, what if the county does something else? What if the county still comes after us? I don't think Chesterfield's going to be paying legal fees to fight this, right? There's always going to be that threat. There's always going to be that nuisance of a threat that'll be there. And it makes me wonder if that lingering doom is something that business owners are going to say, well, I'm just not going to do it. I don't know if it's worth it. I just might have to ride this thing out. I don't like it. And notice, too, sometimes when these businesses start to fight back, that's when the restrictions start to get relaxed. And I, there needs to be more fighting back. There's been so many different businesses on the onset that tried this and it didn't work. But look what happened when it came to the county and high school sports. For a while there, they said, we're not going to do high school sports. Then a group of people get together and say, uh, yes, you are. And eventually the county backed down. Now, I hope that the county will back down on this. And what a what a bad move. I, again, there needs to be much more pressure and criticism on the way Sam Page is handling this. And there needs to be a lot more uh, criticism on his motivations on why he's doing this because he's no angel. There's all these other stories that surround this. And I don't think that each of them are unrelated. And if you don't know about that, I would encourage you to go to our friend Jane Duker's Twitter account. She is just on fire. Anytime there's something that needs to be brought up when it comes to uh, the government abuse or malfeasance or whatever it may be. So it leads me to my next story. And I think it's somewhat related because I feel like, in a lot of ways, you can disagree on things and realize that there's always going to be other sides of the story. And there's a new study that came out. It says, and the study was reported to the AIP, the AIP. And let me go back to the conclusion of this study because I've been going through it and reading it as if I was a doctor and as if I could understand any of this. The physics of, of fluids, and it says effects of mask wearing on the inability and deposition of airborne SARS-CoV-2 aerosols in human upper airway. That was the name of the study. Doesn't that sound scientific and fancy? I think it does. This is what they published, and this is what they say. It says, uh, a model was developed that comprised of a pleated surgical mask, a face model, and an upper-based upper airway geometry. Now, when they say the surgical mask, you know what that looks like. It's normally your typical blue surgical mask. They're kind of, you know, crimped in the front, you know, what you would see, typically speaking. 
The viral load in the nose was particularly examined with and without a mask. Results show that when breathing without a mask, air enters the mouth and nose through specific pathways. When wearing a mask, however, air enters the mouth and nose through the entire surface of the mask at lower speeds. So as they start to look at this, they're starting to say, yeah, people have masks. They're encouraged to wear them, and a lot of people do. What do you do with your mask? Are you throwing them away after one use? Are you saying, I just can't go out and buy a million masks, so I can't just like, you're reusing masks. Some people have cloth masks that they use and reuse, which is, you know, typical. But this study says if you were to not wear a mask, you would naturally, (gasps) if you got close enough and the virus was around you, you would breathe it into your airwaves, mouth or nose or whatever it is. If you're wearing a mask and you're breathing, (gasps) It could sit on that mask, and then you're slowly breathing it in. So you're looking at two issues. Now, the only I, I bring this up for two reasons. Number one, some people would look at a study like this, and they would say, it's irresponsible for you during an outbreak to even say this scientific study on the air. It's irresponsible of you to even look at this study because ultimately you know it's a bad idea to do anything without of a mask. You know, when the summer comes around next year and you're inside of a swimming pool, I'm going to be wearing a mask, too. Right. And if you're going out and you know what, you might as well wear a mask inside your house all the time. And while you're driving your car alone, you might as well wear a mask. You know, there's some people that go onto that far extremes, but then they get upset when there's scientific studies that come out and we can learn a little bit more through the course of this pandemic. You get through March, April, May, June, and now we're finally at the end of the year of 2020. We find that a lot of things have changed from the start to finish. And that's part of the process of all of this. The stuff that if we were to just base all of our knowledge of the coronavirus of what we knew at the start of things versus where we are today, we would be in a heap of trouble because we've learned a lot, not only when it comes to treatment, but we've learned a lot when it comes to the spread. We're not afraid to get our mail from the mailbox anymore, you know, or grocery bags. Oh, my goodness. I need to wipe down my groceries when I come back. Remember the hysteria that was at the very start? Part of learning more about this is realizing that sometimes things like this can be discovered and can be used to your advantage. However, in a world today, you even bring up a study like this. People go crazy. They'll go nuts. They'll say, oh, you're just nuts. You're crazy. You're not going to wear a mask. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. Oh, how dare you even question wearing a mask? And you can say, you know, maybe it has nothing to do with debating the mask still. Who cares if we're still debating this or not? Maybe it has more to do with saying that there may be more to the story. And maybe we should learn that more to the story in order to progress this a little bit further. So we're not using bad information all the time. And I think if I'm going to relate this back to the county, that's what's going on with restaurants. (laughs) They're using bad information that some people have realized, hey, we don't have to close down indoor dining. It is not a big threat when it comes to the spread of the coronavirus. However, someone with a doctor in front of his name hasn't been able to figure that out yet. 314-436-7900 is the number you can call in if you like. It's Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. You know, when I hear the Christmas music, everything sounds so nice, like there's a fire on in the background and we're about to drink some hot cocoa. But in reality, we're talking about some pretty serious things. (laughs) Oh, boy. So we're going to talk about neglect and buildings falling down. Beautiful buildings that really have gone 
to the wayside and have been forgotten, but some people are doing their best to try to save them. And I think it's important to bring up some of those stories, which we'll do this hour. There's a story on Fox 2. It says, after losing job to COVID, Fenton woman says landlord removed her front door after falling behind on rent. She has lived there for a while. She's lived there for a long time. Lived there for really, let's see, lived there for three years without any issues. And her mom has rented the apartment next door for the last 13 years. So three years, no problems. Family has been there 13 years, no problems. Apparently rent is pretty light. It's only $500 a month at this one place over in Fenton. Her name is Hannah McGee, and she fell two months behind, $1,000 behind in her rent. Now, let me just point out real quick. I'm not saying $1,000 is nothing, but if you're a landlord and you look at $1,000 as enough to try to ruin this person's uh, home because they have fallen behind based on hardship, you are terrible. You're you're you are a terrible, scummy landlord, period. So here's the story that she told to uh, Fox 2. And let me bring this up. And it's just going to make you mad hearing this as it made me ha- mad. He says before the COVID-19 pandemic, they would usually just get about one or two calls a month from tenants saying that their landlords were. And this is a, a lawyer that Fox 2 spoke with. There's all kinds of different people that have dealt with terrible landlords that would do things like this. Turning off their water, taking off doors, or changing locks. Now, we talked to one renter in Fenton who says her landlord came and took her front door off because she's two months behind on rent. Now, that's equal to about $1,000 for her. The attorney says this violates Missouri statute and the federal eviction moratorium is up at the end of the month. Yeah, I think that there may be some extensions. It's hard to tell, but let's look at it this way. In the federal law that was put in, like it or not, Federal law says you can't evict someone as in go through the process as in to notify them that they need to vacate. But the actual act of kicking them out is something that is illegal right now. You're not allowed to do that because of covid. They wrote that into law. There was a a pause on evictions, the actual processing of these things. So a lot of times when you see this sort of thing going down, you get these landlords that threaten and they're tough talking. And sometimes the people understand what the law is. And sometimes they don't understand what the law is when it comes to this. So if you're someone that goes in there and you start removing doors and it's 20 degrees at night, that's lousy. That's you're terrible. You're a scummy, terrible person cutting off the water to people because they can't leave, but you would do that to someone, you need to be held accountable for all these things. And honestly, let's hear what the lawyer has to say with it. He actually just took the door off the hinges. I didn't even notice. I thought he was fixing the blinds and he just went away with the door. Um, So now I've been without a door for four days. I have a four-year-old daughter and she's luckily been able to stay with Nana. Well, the landlord needs to realize that that the landlord has committed a tort and is liable for anything that happens to this uh, tenant. It's more than negligence. It's intentional infliction of emotional distress. Mm-hmm. It's a violation of Missouri statutes. And it's an unlawful eviction. Honestly, I would love to see lawyers or whatever in town look at this and say, you know, uh, I think I might take this one up and defend this person. Because let's, let's get them in front of a judge. And explain to the judge in 20 degree weather, the landlord comes over and removes the door on this property. 
or shuts the water off or whatever it may be and see how the judge would treat that landlord. Do you think they would be happy? You think they would be sympathetic to the landlord in a situation like that? Absolutely not. What's also kind of scary is that they just come over, do it and don't say anything as if, oh boy, I'm just going to take my door and get out of here. There's a few things I hope happen here. I hope she can find a different place to live because if this is the way they treat you, you don't live there. You just leave. You find another place to go because that is lousy and you don't want to have to be associated with a person like that, period. And I know that's easier said than done. And same thing with anyone else. Um, I know it's easier said than done, but do you really, really want to have to put up with that knowing that any time in the future, they just might come and steal the door, take the door off while you're still uh, renting the place? Here's what I hope happens, number two. I hope with the door off and she, I mean, safely somewhere else, I hope that maybe that property finds itself into some very serious problems. Um, hey, I'm not saying Fenton is immune to anything else, but whatever damage has happened to that property, I don't think she should be held responsible for any of it. Someone comes in and steals the furnace. I don't care. Um, as long as it's not her stuff, I think she needs to get out of there. Then again, are you even? can you even live in a house where the door is off? Could you even feel safe sleeping there at night? I couldn't. You know, I couldn't feel safe sleeping there. I would get my stuff out as fast as possible um, and then basically write on Craigslist, hey, uh, the doors are off this house, have at it. Okay, maybe you can't do that. But then again, I'm very vengeful. I'm in a vengeful mood tonight. I've been talking, uh, you know, in the first hour, we talked about the people that come and steal the packages off your front door. And I think it should be written into law that you could take a baseball bat and take their legs out if you catch them in the act of stealing your package. And now here I am saying that I hope this uh, landlord gets what's coming to him and that property faces some major damages based on him removing that front door. And it would be all his fault for it to happen. You know, look, at I'm, I'm very vengeful tonight. I need to calm down. I need to uh, take a moment and reflect because I'm just getting too worked up on things like this. Let's see what else the uh, landlord or the lawyer has to say. We tried to talk with that landlord today who was at the apartment we went, when we were there talking with the tenant, but he drove off without answering any of our questions tonight. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, so how about this? I, I know um, when you're behind on mortgage payments, if the bank tries to work with you, that's normally what they do. But imagine if you were behind on car payments and they decided to just take the doors off your car or you were behind on whatever it is. I know a car is a little different than a house. You're ability to have shelter is a little bit more important. Sure. But just think about the processing that it goes through. And if you've had no issues for all these years, normally you call and you work with your lender and that's what it means to have a relationship with them. Man, I, I just can't see rational people acting this way. It is just a shame and a disgrace to hear stories like this happening. And I do hope the guy gets what's coming to him. I'm just going to assume it was a guy. All right, so when we come back, I will try to be very less vengeful. Yeah, there's been a lot of that going on tonight. This is just one of those nights, I guess. When things get cold, maybe it just changes my uh, mindset for the worst. Andrew Wheel's going to join us, and also Bill Siebert. We'll both have them on the line to talk about demolition by neglect in a historic church that's on the corner of Kings Highway McPherson. We're just going to talk about their story, how they're trying to help this and how they're trying to get the situation turned around. It's not fun to look at all of these abandoned buildings and let alone abandoned churches or any other historical monuments or things that we look at as monuments. Just go to, you know, basically you look at it and say it's only a matter of time until this thing collapses to the ground. And it's just a, I mean, a terrible sight and it sticks out. And there's a lot of things you can say about it, but it's good that there are people trying to do 
and turn around these things. So we'll talk to them coming up after the break. It's Overnight America, KMOX. They're playing Get ready for Billiken's basketball tomorrow night as they take on NC State. Pre-game 645, tip-off at 7. On your voice for Billiken's basketball, KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. See, this music does help calm me some. It's probably best. Maybe we just play a full segment of Christmas music to try to get me to calm down tonight. I've been on edge. (laughs) 314-436-7900 is the way you can text the show. And we'll take some of your calls maybe a little bit later. Joining us now are two guests to talk about demolition by neglect. In particular, the historic Second Baptist Church that's on the corner of Kings Highway and McPherson. Joining us is Andrew Wheel and Bill Schiebert. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Great to be here. Uh, uh, good, good to hear from you, Andrew Weil and uh, Bill Seibert. But uh, Seibert, we're, we're happy to be here. All right. So thank you. And I was watching some of the different videos. I guess the Post Dispatch did a write up on the church not that long ago. And it's looking uh, kind of interesting to watch the videos of that Second Baptist Church on the inside. And it's amazing, too, how much of the beauty is still there. And at the same time, how much of the um, the building is just falling apart. And I wanted to kind of get your reasoning why you have so much interest in this building. Well, um, let me uh, grab that first, Bill, if you don't mind. Um, Sure. Uh, uh, Landmarks Association is an organization that's uh, been around for 61 years at this point, and we are um, a coalition of concerned citizens that's dedicated to the preservation, protection, rehabilitation, revitalization of uh, St. Louis's uh, important architecture and um, presenting that architecture as not only a um, uh, important, you know, cultural heritage, but also uh, an economic, uh, an economic um, resource uh, that will benefit the city and the community at large moving forward. So we're concerned about this building because it's a very important building architecturally, and it's it's in a very um, important um, intersection, and I think that uh, that Bill can speak to that uh, probably more uh, more eloquently than I. But maybe Bill would like to take the torch there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, as you said, it's at the intersection of uh, North Kings Highway and McPherson in the in the central west end of the city, and it's part of a nine building. Uh, uh, it's really the centerpiece of a nine-building uh, historic uh, district known as the Holy Corners Historic District. Uh, the district was listed in the National Register of Historic Places 45 years ago. And uh, most of the buildings in the district, including the Second Baptist Church, are also listed as official landmarks of the city of St. Louis. It's really identified as probably the finest group of monumental buildings in the city. Um, and as I say, it's sort of the centerpiece of this nine-building nine historic district. Um, it was uh, built by the oldest Protestant congregation in St. Louis, which traces its origin back to 1818. Um, and it, it uh, really has 
tremendously important um, congregation itself is is seminal in the history of the city going way back. The building was, uh, I think, their second or third home. Originally, they were downtown, obviously, uh, but uh, this building was built by Second Baptist in 1907, and it was designed by one of the most prominent architectural firms ever to practice in St. Louis, uh, known as Moran, Russell, and Garden, and they were the successors in St. Louis to uh, the the firm of uh, Shepley, Rutan, and Coolidge, and H.H. Richardson of Boston. Um, the church complex is really one of the most important examples of ecclesiastical architecture in the state. Um, so that is sort of the reason we're concerned, and it's really the only one of the uh, nine buildings in the Holy Corners group that is presently vacant and vandalized. Um, mm. And because of this, last year, uh, Missouri Preservation, which is the state's preservation organization, put it on its list of the most um, imperiled historic sites in the state. So it's it's something that really is uh, really important. As you say, uh, Ryan, it is in very sound condition, but it has, over the last eight years, undergone really unfortunate um, neglect, uh, mm. which has resulted in um, basically vandalism and um, theft and um, has been not secured uh, adequately by by the owner and has also uh, sort of been a, a location for homeless people to squat there and, and so forth. So it just really needs to be addressed uh, yeah. on, on so- many levels. With um, everything that I'm looking at, and I'm not exactly sure when this one video that was embedded as part of the Post-Dispatch article about the Second Baptist Church was actually taken, but, it, I mean, it's it's got all of the different landmarks on the inside of a beautiful church, the architecture, and it still has the pews. It looks like it still has most of the pipes. I don't know if the organ is still in there, but the nice windows and whatnot. So who owns this building, and when did it become abandoned, and why? Do we know that? Well, yeah, it, it uh, has been under the control of the current owner since uh, since 2012, uh, eight years ago. And at that time, uh, the owner, Dr. Uh, Gurpreet Pada is his name, he presented a plan to the neighborhood to restore and repair uh, the complex as a home to his microbrewery operation, a restaurant, and an event space. But since that time, over eight years ago, Nothing has been done to forward this plan. And as I said, rather, during this time, the property has not been adequately secured and it's been left to be damaged by thieves, vandals, and, and homeless. So, um, uh, And, Bill, I would, I would add to that that um, this is not a COVID situation. This is, a, this is a problem that's been ongoing long before we even knew about COVID. So this has unfortunately been um, a neglectful property owner that's allowed a highly significant uh, property uh, for the total cultural heritage of St. Louis to to decay. Uh, And it should not be confused with any kind of, you know, immediate 
um, uh, COVID concerns, which have been affecting a lot of uh, a lot of business plans, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I guess that churches do also go through different ebbs and flows, and then sometimes the congregation shrinks and they just can't make it sustainable. So the building is sold or whatever it may be. Um, you don't. You think about some of these old historic buildings and these extreme amount of efforts that are gone through to try to preserve them. So someone comes in and buys it. They have the intention of doing something, but they have never done anything. Has anyone talked to them recently? Do they know if anything's going to be done or are they trying to sell it? Or is, do we even know what the status is with uh, with the current owner, and if there's even hope to try to save a building like this? Well, I, I think we have uh, had some contact uh, with him, uh, and the, the indication has been that he would be willing to to sell or to partner with with someone who would uh, be willing to uh, uh, put the building to, to use. Um, this is, we, it remains to be seen, but in the, in the meantime, um, it's really a, a top concern um, that uh, repairs to the roof um, can be made. Uh, there's been sort of serious water damage in a number of places in the building, um, which haven't been corrected. Uh, and as, as a result of, of this eight-year sort of pattern of demolition by neglect, uh, some of the neighbors in the, in the Central West End have been working with our aldermen, with the city uh, the city and, and with uh, the neighborhood security initiative there in our neighborhood, as well as with landmarks and Missouri preservation uh, to see that steps are taken to secure the property from future damage and to force the owner to address the building code violations that have been um, uh, lodged by the city building uh, division, over a dozen building code violations and, and to make the needed repairs. Um, this is this is part of what we are sort of working with our aldermen and with the city on. So um, hopefully there will be uh, some movement in, in that area. Hmm. Do you um, do you guys? I'm curious. Do you care what happens to the building? Would you would prefer to see it stay at church? Would you like to see it just turn into something as long as it's maintained? I mean, do you have any invested uh, interest in what it becomes, or do you just want to see it become something and not sit there be derelict? Yeah, um, we want to. Bill, Bill, you want me to jump in on there, or you want to take it? Well, I, I could say that we're uh, the, the neighbors and and uh, are, are really uh, sponsoring uh, an initiative by uh, several preservation architects in the city to propose specific adaptive reuse plans, uh, alternatives for how the building could be used. And I don't think it's realistic that it would be used as a church. It's just. Uh, uh, too big a property for that, but there are uh, quite viable uh, alternative uses for it that would be a real benefit to the to the neighborhood and to the city. Uh, adjacent to it and part of the property is a large parking lot, which um, is can be available either for parking or as a building site uh, to uh, to uh, adjoin the historic building and. Uh, it just opens a lot of possibilities for for development. Mm. Um, I wonder I, how many I, of these different buildings. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Andrew. No, not at all. Um, my, quickly, my my point would be that look, this is um, 
not going to be a church again uh, anytime soon. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's uh, not an important part of the architectural heritage of our community and the architectural history of our community. And um, adaptive reuse of these magnificent buildings um, and putting them uh, back into a uh, tax-paying, uh, you know, position is is a good thing for everybody. We get to preserve our our heritage and we get to preserve our tax base, and that's what we should be shooting for instead of uh, just letting these things, you know fall down and then eventually get turned into parking lots or something like that, that nobody, nobody really cares about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of where our position is and anything that, that we can do as an organization and as a community to support that uh, is important. So uh, I was actually speaking with Alderwoman Navarro uh, this morning. She's very supportive of, redeveloping this building. She does not want to see this building go away. Um, And also uh, our organization, Landmarks Association, uh, has a interest-free loan program that uh, is, you know, potentially available to help secure the building uh, at the very least uh, to get it to a point where it at least is not, um, you know, the 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 roof is secure, uh, in uh, and it can be in that secure position until um, a solution uh, can can be found for it. Sorry, I didn't mean to drag on there. It's just a little yeah. late in the day for me. <laughs> well, I get it. Uh, do you mind holding on after the break? We can talk a little bit more about this for a few sure. more minutes. We'll do great. Uh, Andrew Weil and Bill Seibert joining us in the Landmark Association. And and really, we're looking at this one building on Kings Highway, Second Baptist Church. You may have seen it. The Post-Dispatch did a write-up on it not that long ago. We'll continue our conversation coming up next on Overnight America KMOX. Zero res. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. And do you know someone in the St. Charles area in need and deserving of a new home comfort system? Jerry Kelly Heating and Air Conditioning. It looks like they'll be awarding someone that. Go nominate someone. Go to KMOX.com slash contest and tell us why you think they're deserving. A panel of judges will select someone. So KMOX.com slash contest. You only have till the 20th to do that a few more days. So we're looking at some of these different buildings around the city of St. Louis. One in particular that was highlighted in a post-dispatch article was the Second Baptist Church Building. And joining us now to discuss a little bit more about that in the Landmark Association is Andrew Weil and Bill Seibert. Thank you again for coming on to KMOX. Well, happy to do it. I I would say, following up on uh, what we were just talking about, the two very positive things about this are that um, the building is an official landmark of the city of St. Louis and therefore um, is protected from demolition. and secondly, it's listing in the National Register of Historic Places means that it is eligible for uh, historic tax credits uh, to uh, any developer that would move forward with a, with a, a plan to uh, restore the building and repurpose it. So those are two very positive things that um, support its um, 
ongoing pres- uh, you know preservation. Mm. There's and a lot Andrew, of these buildings. Yeah, I, I was going to say, um, there's a lot of these buildings that you see around St. Louis that I'm sure may qualify for something because I don't, you know, when I go to certain areas in St. Louis, you get off the interstate and let's say you're driving to the Fox Theater, you drive through a bunch of buildings and there's some beautiful ones, but they're all, you know, they just look like they're in terrible shape or you get off, you know, somewhere downtown and it, you know, it takes a while if you're on the North part of downtown until it looks like there's uh, places that have actually been taken care of. And you see all of these things and you look around and you're like, wow, this is, this is all over the place. There's all of these buildings that are just beautiful. And some of which you may not even know are landmarks that are just sitting there. And just like the second Baptist church building, nothing's being done with them. Well, I would I would say to that, um, uh, you know, we've the city of St. Louis has lost over a, a half a million people over the course of um, the last you know fifty years um, or a little bit more, and that that's a that's a serious problem. However, um, there has been billions of dollars, and that's billions with a B. Um, invested in in areas of the central corridor, the south side, near north side, certain areas of the north side. Um, there are very very bright uh, bright uh, opportunities and 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 uh, optimistic things that are happening right now, and have been happening for decades. Um, so you, you got to kind of you know take the good with the bad. And also um, recognize that there are buildings and neighborhoods that are so important. And I would argue that Second Baptist and Holy Corners, which is the topic of tonight's discussion, um, is one of these areas that we as a community cannot allow to just fade away. You know, the reality of the situation is that there are there's a lot of people missing from the city of St. Louis. Nobody's going to argue that. But that doesn't mean that we don't have incredibly important architecture that we as a community owe it to ourselves uh, as a, a cultural resource, as a historic resource, and frankly, as an economic resource to hang on to and to support. And, and I think that's what Bill and I are, are saying about Second Baptist right now. Mm. Let, me, let me just bring up uh, let me just bring up this one concern real quick because we only have a couple more minutes. And this is what you hear when it comes to landmarks and historical sites: is that an owner comes in and a site is historic, and the problem they run into is because they want to do something to it, but then there's an extra level of bureaucracy involved. So they got to go through a historical society, or they got to go through the landmark society, and it takes forever to get anything done, or they can't get anything changed on the building. So a lot of times it scares owners away. So is that a valid concern when it comes to some of these buildings? things um well no actually uh only if so i i actually teach um historic preservation in the graduate architecture program at washington university and i've been the director of landmarks association since 2011 um so i you know i don't mean to 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 brag but i am an authority on this matter and that's a common misconception Unless you're looking for 
financial incentives, unless you want to participate in an incentive program where you're going to get money from the state of Missouri and or the federal government, uh, then no, there really are no uh, uh, regulations. Aside, there, I mean, there are some regulations with regard to local historic districts, but in general, uh, I would say that no, it's 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 not an issue unless you're looking for uh, for financial incentives that are going to pay you to do the right thing by your historic building. And if people have questions about that, they are welcome to contact Landmarks Association, and I'd be help, uh, happy to walk walk them through those questions. Oh, great. And just before we go, I just want to make sure if people have any questions or want to learn more about your do, what you're doing, how can they find you, the Landmark Association? Uh, we're at uh, Landmarks, with an S, landmarks-stl.org. Uh, we operate, uh, well, <laughs> hopefully soon we'll be able to get back to normal, but uh, we have a lot of uh, tour programs and uh, free educational programs um, and uh, programs that celebrate uh, historic preservation in St. Louis. And okay. um, you know, we, we love St. Louis, so thank you. Perfect. Landmarks Association. You can find them online. Andrew Weil and Bill Seibert. Thank you again for coming on to Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.